All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother, Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can always go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 227 points, or seven-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 26 points, or six-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 66 points, or one-half of 1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 13.6%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 12.6%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 7.2%. Thank you, Jeff. Well... We will we will definitely put a, a quick timeout on talking about any of the Bitcoin or meme stocks. Really? Please. I'm not sure you're going to start off with that, Kyle. Well, I, I think I think we need to go to the to really to to the primary news All of right. this past week, which is what occurred on Friday, and that was the employment number that came out. And I know from last month's number, well below expectations, which as we discussed on the program last month, gives cover for the Federal Reserve to continue with their easy monetary policy and continued quantitative easing with their bond buying. And lo and behold, we get another employment number for the month of May that that came out on Friday and once again was below expectations. Not, not as big of a span of disappointment as we saw in the April jobs numbers, but still below expectations, although the unemployment rate did tick down to 5.8%, but total jobs created reported on Friday was 559,000 jobs. And just just for clarity, uh, the the estimate was for 650,000. Okay. Uh, And they they revised the April jobs number up a little bit higher, but not much from previously reported 266,000 to now 278,000. If I remember right, that number, the April number, was supposed to have been 1 million. Uh, yes. So from, a, from the perspective of you know, percentage difference between actual and estimated, April's number was really terrible compared to <clears throat> the, the May number, which was below expectations, but not 
you know, not as terrible as the, the April number. From a percentage standpoint. but And, and the perversion of the markets kicked in on That's Friday. Right. That's right. With the, with the Dow and the S&P closing near all-time highs uh, for the week. And I think it's two weeks in a row now for the Dow and the S&P to be higher. We had totally forgot in last week's show to even go over the May uh, numbers. The Dow and the S&P were higher, higher for May. The NASDAQ was actually lower for the month of May. Um, and for the quarter, you know, here we're, we're, got, we're down, down to the last month of the second quarter. And the S&P 500, just for the quarter, is up 6.5%. And is actually, that's the leading index. It's ahead of the Dow and the S&P for the second quarter to date. But the okay. Dow still continues to lead all three of the indexes, but the, 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 the gap between the S&P and the Dow is narrowing. You know, and from, from the NASDAQ point of view, um, you know, the gaps may be narrowed a slightly, but there's, you know, at 7.2 versus 13.6 for the Dow, there's still a pretty wide gap. And those large cap growth tech names are still not very loved this year. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to see some love by the end of the year. And, you know, the, the, the NASDAQ has been that horse that's just been leading the race year over year. And obviously it came out of the barn quite slow for 2021, particularly in the first quarter. But as you mentioned, Jeff, it's definitely doing much better in the second quarter. And there's, as we've talked on previous shows, you know, valuations have been coming down for these high growth, large cap tech names that have had higher valuations. Valuations are continuing to moderate. And we're still seeing this outperformance of value to growth. And for us, I know we talked about it a little bit on last weekend's show, some of the, again, adjustments we've been making in the portfolio and starting to build positions in six new names in our individual stock and bond accounts. And those six names primarily focused in industry groups that perform better in higher inflation and a higher interest rate environment. Because even though the employment number, and as you mentioned, Jeff, the perversion of the market where bad is good and good is bad, Friday was a bad number, not as bad as April's number for employment, but it wasn't, it wasn't the best number and the market reacted positively to it because again, it gives cover for the Federal Reserve to continue their very dovish monetary policy. And it can also prolong the Federal Reserve from doing any kind of tapering from the $120 billion worth of bond buying they're doing on a monthly basis. But, but I think that you made, just to you always have to come in with a butt. Here's temper, my brother. Just in to with temper all this, you, you, you're not. I'm not breaking have, this up. Go ahead, Jeff. You're not going <laughs> to have the markets continue to go up on disappointing news or worse than expected news. That that won't go on forever. Uh, maybe maybe for this week, it, it it it's okay that the disappointing news was better for the markets. But next week, we've got the CPI number. We got Consumer Price Index coming out. And, you know, I've, I've been battling with, with all of you guys, mostly with Kyle, about the, Ooh, the balance battling between battling the battle is what's being paid more attention to by the Federal Reserve. Yes, I know they've been saying that this unemployment number seems to be at the top of their list, but it's only going to be at the top of their list until it's not. And it may not, and it, that can change if we get another hot CPI number, consumer price index number next week. 
I don't know that that, that the unemployment, uh, the focus on unemployment from the Fed's point of view will necessarily be top priority if we have back-to-back monthly big increases in, in uh, inflation rates, transitory or not. Well, and before we go to our first commercial break, I just wanted to make this point. I think with the job numbers still coming in lighter than expected, even if we get a hotter CPI number, I think that is going to continue to give the Federal Reserve cover to maintain their dovish stance when it comes to monetary policy. But let's hold this conversation. Let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, before we went to the commercial break, I was just making the point because I know, Jeff, you and I are constantly battling back and forth in our portfolio strategy meetings. A lot of times Joe is like the referee with the yellow flag in hand ready to throw at any moment when we get into our, our discussions, sometimes heated. But I mean, that's what makes makes us such a well-rounded asset manager and portfolio management team because we do have kind of a yin and yang perspective. And then, you know, sometimes Joe's the voice of reason. Sometimes I am, sometimes you are. But the thing is, we all come with our own perspective and our own opinions from all of our years of experience. But the point that I was making is, yes, we've had two disappointing employment numbers coupled with higher inflation numbers and transitory, which is the word that the Fed has been using, we've been using pertaining to inflation is that we've just seen transitory inflation. My big concern would be is if we started to see employment numbers knocking the cover off the ball and higher inflation numbers from a consumer price index, producer price index standpoint, coupled with higher employment numbers. So I think with these lower employment numbers, like I said before we went to commercial break, it's giving the Federal Reserve cover to maintain their dovish stance with their zero interest rate policy and continuing their bond buying that they're doing on a monthly basis, which is part of the quantitative easing they're doing. Yeah, Joe. The F word, which is the Fed, has stated multiple times they do want to see full employment. What is full employment going to look like? I can just tell you Friday when the numbers came out going to Subway across the street, there was one guy working there and a pretty long line. And I think the point is until this country gets back to work, then and, and the we CPI is not going to be, yeah, it's not going to be, not as, gonna be big as, of as relevant deal. until we have full employment. And I'm, it's, and we're in Texas and we see that where, and, and, uh, and, and we that's were my a state, biggest concern. And CJ, you just made another important point. We are in Texas. We were not as, I mean, we did go through a lockdown period, but we were one of the first states to come out of the lockdown. So from an economic growth and getting people back to work standpoint, we could be several, several months ahead from some of the blue states in this country. And so that's also important. But I, I agree with you. 
I think if we get a hotter CPI number next week, Jeff, I think the market might have a day or two of negative reaction if it is a really hot number. But I think cooler heads will prevail because it's coupled with lower employment numbers. And I think Rick Santelli, who is definitely someone in the financial entertainment press, I would pay attention to when he talks because of all of his years of experience as a commodities trader sitting on the CBOE in Chicago. Um, he, they asked him what his predictions were for the employment number Friday morning, and he said 550,000 with a 5.8% unemployment number. He nailed the unemployment number at 5.8% and was off by 9,000 jobs created for the month of May. And they asked Rick, they said, Rick, how did you figure this out? Where did you come up with this number below these expectations when everybody else on the panel was above his expectation? He said, I'll put it to you real simple. He said on Wednesday, he went bowling in Chicago. And in the one strip center that he went to go bowl, he counted 14, 14 help wanted signs in one strip mall. He said, that, that's it. That's all I need to see to know that these numbers are going to be below expectations. And that leads exactly to what you just said, Joe. At the subway that you went to on Friday, there was one gentleman working for the entire store with a line almost out the door. This gives the Fed cover. Well, and I, I agree with that. But see, Jeff, Jeff's, just, Jeff's just building steam while he's listening. Well, I, I think, Jeff. I, think, think about how everything plays together. So hypothetically, say all, all, all of a sudden there was an infrastructure bill with, quote, unquote, remember this term, shovel-ready jobs. Well, who's going to take them if they're getting paid more in unemployment than they go doing a, man, exactly. you know, a job well, that's manual labor? It's ending. Know. As we all know, it's I, yeah. ending. And September seems to be – the D-Day. The D-Day for everyone. I mean, the, the red states are going to go are going to go first, and then everyone's supposed this all ends in September. And so the question's going to be, will the people that have been staying home because they don't feel the need to work because they're getting all this money in unemployment, will the, the job that they get once the, the bonus goes away and they run through their unemployment benefits, will that job be paying them more or less than what they were making on on unemployment. I, I don't know. Um, no one you know, really could quantify that number. But you know, when I when I look at it, to me, more people going back to work is going to equal less inflation. Well, I think, and here's the reason why, Jeff, it can contribute to lower inflation is because we get more supply, because we've had a supply bottleneck. You know, lumber go, has gone up so much because, you know, for one, we don't have as many people at the sawmills making the wood. So we've, had, we've been seeing a supply bottleneck. Demand is there and demand is strong. We just haven't had the supply to catch up to the demand. That's why we're seeing inflation. And it's and the problem is, is we don't have enough people going back to work when you have over eight point one million jobs available and eight million unemployed. Uh, there's more jobs available. What about than there the debt? What about what about the country's debt? What about the trillions that we have to, you know, that we have I, to pay I, back? I will never pay off. I understand. <laughs> it's it's just who can, it's just printing money. It's, That's what it's, we're doing it's, here. I it's mean, like it is, it is really it's really it's very interesting that in saying all these things that we've just said. You know, interest rates, as measured by the 10-year Treasury, have actually trended a little lower here these last few months. You know, on Friday, we went out, what, 1.557 on a 10-year Treasury yield? 
yeah. uh, which you know, we were we were pushing up against two percent. Six two. We were one t- six two one point six two percent, I believe, on Thursday's close. So we, I mean, we saw rates move. You know, we saw so rates it, move. What? So was that? It was the quote unquote bad, bad news is good news for stocks because it, it resulted in some money going in, you know, going into bonds and lowering interest rates, which is also uh, good for stocks. Uh, these, the all these variables that we're seeing from an economic point of view, we have never seen as managers of money, nor have other managers of money seen, where we've seen this amount of of money put into the economy. Uh, this amount of money being put into uh, people's hands via direct stimulus payments and via additional unemployment payments. We've never seen uh, anything like this, you know, in our investing careers. And I would hazard to guess most anyone's. Yes, Joe. Well, and to your point, Jeff, I was at a retirement party last weekend for one of our clients, by the way, and they're asking about portfolio management and looking at what's going on. And I said, look, to be candid, there is no playbook for a pandemic. This is going to be one of these. Or post-pandemic. Or post-pandemic. Yeah. So this will be added to the playbook, and it's extremely challenging as portfolio managers to make sure you're in the right asset classes, the right stocks, and, and talking about some of the moves that we made that we argue about. We got rid of some healthcare stocks. We added some old-school stocks, if you will. And the financial side, obviously from the energy side, and what do you need to do in your portfolio and how do you position yourself when there's still, uh, when everything is still not clear, you know, from a, from an interest rate environment, from a, a inflation environment and, and well, when well, we get well, to full employment. Is- well, this is where diversification comes to play. This is the reason why we've been barbelling our portfolio since the very beginning of the year of adding classic stocks, dividend payers, increasing income in the portfolio, taking some of our momentum, higher beta names down or out of the portfolio. So this is where we've been creating a bigger balance on the stocks out of our portfolio. If you were to apply a measure of risk that equates to the price earnings ratio, the weighted average price earning ratio of all the stocks in our portfolio, then the, the moves that we have made this year have in essence de-risked us from the point of view of reducing overall weighted average price to earnings ratio of the portfolio. Uh, and in doing so, we have, we have done it with a mind towards increasing income uh, in the portfolio as that, you know, the barbell approach that you were talking about. So, but, 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 I so, think, but, but, but overall, but, but overall, let me finish overall, okay. you know, in terms of asset allocations to stocks, to bonds, we have been very steady with our overall stock allocation this year. It, you know, it hasn't really fluctuated that much between, you know, 60 to 65% in a moderate asset allocation portfolio to stocks, which is still below our maximum recommended asset allocation to stocks in a moderate asset allocation portfolio, which is 70%. So, so and, and, and I was going to say, you know, some of the listeners might be thinking to themselves, you know, why are you spending so much time talking about employment, talking about inflation? Why are you spending so much of the show talking about this? And how does that relate to me and my portfolio? Well, it's very important because you have to understand we saw what the market did in the fourth quarter of 2018 when the Federal Reserve turned hawkish in their monetary stance. We saw one of the quickest 20% corrections the market has seen. Now, I'm not saying that the second the Federal Reserve announces that they're going to start tapering their bond buying, we're going to see a 20% correction. 
but the market is going to have, in my opinion, a negative reaction when the Fed finally does start talking about the tapering of their monthly bond purchasing that they're doing. But let's pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, I just was recapping at the bottom of the hour of why we've been spending so much time talking about, again, inflation, the employment numbers, Fed's monetary policy, because I think it goes without saying that when the Fed does start talking about tapering their bond purchases, we, we, we know that the Fed is pretty much um, been very transparent as far as their interest rate policy, saying it could be late 2022, maybe into 2023 before they raise interest rates. Now, of course, that's what they're saying now. They can change their story very, very quickly because it's all data dependent. But the reason why we're talking about this for all the listeners is to making sure you have a proper balance in your portfolio. And the reason why the last six stocks we're now building positions in and our individual stock and bond portfolios are designed to perform better in a higher inflation, higher interest rate environment where eventually the Fed is going to have to go. You know, we are going to have to go to, you know, the Fed is not going to continuously be pumping money into our system for the end of time. They're eventually going to stop the quantitative easing on a monthly basis. In fact, this past week, they were talking about they're, they're slowing down the corporate bond buying that they're doing, which was something that they did for the very first time during the pandemic back in 2020. So they're now dialing back their corporate bond buying. And they announced that the market seemed to absorb that with, without a problem. So that's good. But it, the reason why we're just focusing so much time on this is to make sure you take stock of what's in your side, your portfolios. Joe always says on the show, know what you own. And what we have been doing as money managers throughout the year, we still own growth. We still own some momentum names in our portfolio, but we've mitigated, as Jeff mentioned in the last segment, we've been mitigating our risk and lowering our price earnings multiple of the overall stock portfolio by bringing in some more of these classic dividend paying names and creating that balanced barbell on the stock side of our portfolio. Sorry for that. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, did I just Jeff, completely Jeff, blow God. you away? You're like, wow, that's my little brother. No, no, no. The, the, no, no, death, no. the death pause yeah. in radio. It was so Jeff, good. Jeff. It was so it's good, so Kyle. I've just, yeah, just dropped the mic right there. Yeah. I thought, I thought, you had were, I thought you were getting a full breath, you know, full breath in your lungs to just fire back at me. Well, something. I'll, I'll, I'll throw out a totally off the wall question. At us? What? Yes. Well, I'm really mostly to, to Kyle. That's dangerous, but go ahead. <laughs> is, there, is there anything in particular that would cause you to become more bearish than you are bullish? Hmm. What, what, would, what, would that, what would those uh, variables be if they changed? 
Because, well, yeah, you know, I think – Good question. Very good question. You know, I think that we're just – we're going to go through the summer very much like, like we are right now. Until we get these payments stopped, until those payments stop and people actually are forced to go back to work again and we fill all these jobs and we see what happens with supply and demand, because we got to get to September. If all these supply constraints are due to people not wanting to go back to work because they're getting all this money, we got to go through June, all of July, all of August, all of September. That's four months. Now, I don't think the Federal Reserve is going to sit around on uh, sitting on their hands if we have inflation that that goes up to four percent this month, this this next you know, annualized year over year and 5% the next month and 6% the next month. I don't think they're going to be sitting on their hands. Even if the unemployment number, you know, just comes in lukewarm each one of these months, because I, I just don't think they're going to do it. And, and so you got to be ready in your portfolio to make changes because the second they start talking about it, the second they start talking about the, the taper, the markets are going to react and they're going to react violently. They're going to react like they did in the fourth quarter of 2018. Now not saying it's going to be a 20% correction. We're I think it'll, that. I think, I think it'll absolutely be a 20% correction. Absolutely. Why that wouldn't it is, be? That is a bear pelt. Well, wait, no, no, no. I, it's a correction. I'm not saying it's the well, that's beginning. Some correction. I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's 0809 all over again. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, that as far as we come, again, remember, go look at a chart. Go look at a chart of how far we've come oh, since no, I, March of last year. Yes, a 20% 20, 20 correction would be a drop in the bucket from where we've, where we've come from. But, over the thing, last but, but, but Jeff, plus. you and I have had this conversation when we're looking at the technicals. I also look at it. Is it a conversation or a battle? <laughs> well, yeah. most of our conversations are bad. I mean, we <laughs> okay. are brothers. So, I mean, <laughs> there's always a little bit of battle. Well, and for sure. our listeners that I, have I, siblings, I know how that goes. I, I, okay. And in, in watching CNBC this week and some of the other talking heads, what Jeff talked about is a little bit of what we call lack of clarity. It, what does trans, transitory inflation look like? Is it six months? Is it longer? We don't know. That's why we're not fully invested in a moderate allocation. Exactly. Or any, allocation any of our any of them. That's right. So if we get exactly. a 15, if we get a 15% or 20% pullback, you know, we will act accordingly, but this is also why we're not completely invested. And, you know, and I think that's the thing that you have to look at is the difference between an active manager and a passive manager yeah, we have some cash, and we have the right. ability to buy if that does happen. And the other thing so, to look at in your portfolio is to be careful. If, you're, if you own individual stocks, you've got to be careful with the high-growth, the high, growth, high PE names. High PE, those, those are the ones that are going to correct the most. Those are the ones that were getting hit here a, a little while ago when we got that first, when we got that first uh, hot uh, inflation number, what were they, what, what were, what was being sold? And the it was other, the high PE, high growth stocks. The, the other variable also that we haven't talked about is taxes. All right. We haven't even touched that in this particular show. No, they're not even talking about them. They're not I mean, yeah, talking about it. They're, hard, they're hardly about it at all. You know, they, so. they, are, they have been talking about this infrastructure spending, but I think I said this earlier this week, I think I'll pay for you it, guys you know? that, 
the longer this goes on, the longer the negotiating between the Republicans and the Democrats over this package, the package gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, mm-hmm. which is to me, it, obviously it's going to have an effect on some of those stocks or it may already be having an effect on stocks that are maybe tied. To well, 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 the Biden administration already came out this past week and, and threw a Hail Mary and said, look, okay, we won't touch the corporate tax rate, but there's going to be a minimum for everybody of 15% because we're not going to have Microsoft. We're not going to have Amazon. We're not going to have any of these big tech companies paying nothing. So we're going to set the floor that the Biden administration came out and said, look, we won't touch corporate tax rate, but we're going to put a floor in. We're going to put a floor for those 96 companies that that's all the Democrats tout that didn't pay a single dime in federal income tax that are going to be paying a minimum of 15%. So, We'll see, but you're right. They, the, the tax situation, and I agree with you, Jeff, the longer this negotiation goes, the smaller and smaller package gets, but it needs to be a smaller package because we've already been sending out, the government's already been sending out trillions of dollars of stimulus, which is affecting the employment market. But back to your original question, what would turn me bearish? Yeah. Personally, being that I'm a long-term investor and a holder of high-quality everybody's, everybody's a long-term investor until it's time to not be a long-term investor. Yes, but, but, but as far as one particular thing that turns me bearish, I mean, I would say that what we've been doing in the portfolio is building a protective moat around some of our larger cap, higher momentum, higher PE names by creating that barbell. That is the adjustments that we've been making in the portfolio. So if you want to look at that as maybe me being a little bearish, because maybe you were a bit surprised when I said, hey, Jeff, I did, you know, I did this research. I'm looking for companies that do better in higher inflation, higher interest rate environment as the six new names to add to the portfolio, as opposed to going to some of these tech names that I've been watching. And they've had a nice pullback where we could get in at a lower price. So I think that I guess in essence, maybe I have been turning a little bit more bearish this year with the barbelling that we have been doing in our portfolio to generate higher income because we're definitely not getting it on the fixed income side. We're getting the, the safety. We're getting the protection. We're just not getting the kind of income that we, I mean, we really haven't been getting the income post-financial crisis, really. So we have to do it on the stock side of the portfolio. But for me personally, I'm always going to have at least one bullhorn coming out of my head at all times. And I will. I yes, will just true. just because just because I know that the long term trajectory of the market yeah. since the beginning of time has been higher. Eighty percent of the time, the stock market is yes. in any given year. Yes, eighty percent of the time, it works every time. Yes, we, <laughs> we know. <laughs> well, we all were in agreement with the last portfolio moves that we made. We didn't get into heated arguments, and I was fine we, with those. Stocks. We understand what's going on. I mean, and pre before we made these moves, we were actually overweight technology. Compared to the S and P, now we're slightly underweight. Technology. We're, also, we're, we're over we're, over we're overweight, overweight healthcare. healthcare. We're yes, we're, we're also still overweight no, industrials we're yeah, still, compared to the the S and P. So we have made those approaches. Well, we have made those changes to have more of a barbell approach. Yes, and more of a, a we're still a balanced portfolio when it comes to growth value in the certain sectors. So in the, in the certain sectors, yes, because we were we were much more overweight in healthcare than we are now. We're still overweight healthcare but we're not as overweight as we were. And again, with the industrials, why we're a little bit more overweight today is to take advantage of where we think 
the market is going to be going as we get into higher inflation, higher interest rates, which that industry sector seems to do better in those types of conditions. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And I also want to remind all the listeners, you can listen to the Money Wise show if you missed parts of this weekend's show or want to listen to past shows, or just don't catch us live on 1200 WAI or on 1360 KKTX in Corpus Christi. You can go to all your favorite streaming media outlets where the Money Wise show is available. So whether it's Pandora, Spotify, iHeartMedia, iTunes, even Amazon's uh, podcast, you can just type in Money Wise and catch all of our programs. And and you, can, you can even see what we look like. <laughs> well, we haven't done our YouTube Just channel yet. Just do not let the yeah. glare from our bald heads blind you when you initially log on and take a look at that. Eventually, we will have our podcast YouTube channel, but as we've always jokingly said after doing this show for 16 years, we have faces for radio. Although, I think that was Jim Lago that told us that down at Corpus <laughs> Christi, so we have faces for radio. But we are on a lot of different streaming services, so if you miss parts of this show, want to listen to past shows, or just miss us live... You can catch us in a bunch of different areas. And if you have any show ideas, I'll email those to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Yeah, because we want to we wanna start using the fourth segment of the first hour of the show for our San Antonio listeners, the, the, the end, the last segment of our weekend show, since we only do an hour in San Antonio. Um, and I, I like your idea, Jeff, of just kind of a... We'll call a it listener's luck. choice. Listener's choice, where you, you email us questions, we'll put them into a hat, we'll pick out a topic... And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it because we used to do for, for years and years and years, we did the show actually live and took live callers. And that was great. Sometimes we had some, it really spurred some great conversations with great longtime listeners. Sometimes it took us down a, a little different path than where we wanted the show to go, but it was, we always felt it was great radio and, and great engagement with our listeners. But since we've gone to a recorded show that we record after the bell on Friday that has a little bit of that disconnect that we used to not have. And so getting emails from our clients, from, from clients, from listeners, from clients about show ideas and topics that you want to want us to talk about and, and just get our opinion from actual portfolio managers, managers of other people's money, not just financial salespeople selling the latest, greatest financial product, which we do not do at Davidson Capital Management. You know, we want to hear from you. And I know, before we get to the end of the first hour, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on just a little bit of kind of the soapbox I jumped on last week and on last weekend's show about the meme stocks because they're rearing their ferocious head once again this past week, namely AMC, which is, you know, I guess one of the few surviving uh, movie chains. Uh, movie theater chains that are still left in this country and it being traded it's 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 trading being halted several times this past week and in fact i believe it was on thursday or is it wednesday was up just under a hundred percent in in one day which is just obscene 
and we talked about on last weekend's show is the danger. This isn't investing. These meme stocks, this is not investing. This is pure gambling. And as I jokingly said, if you want to gamble, go to Vegas. At least you get free drinks. Because Robinhood is not going to send you a cocktail when you're putting $10,000 in the AMC and potentially losing all of your money. Now, I'm sure some listeners of this program maybe have made a ton of money in these huge speculative bets that they've made on these stocks. And, hey, we applaud you. It was extremely dangerous what you did, and it worked out well for you. We heard the same stories at the end of the dot-com era. That's we right. All the same stories. This time it's happening in a much smaller number of stocks. I mean, there might be 10 stocks that typically have been targeted. The biggest ones have been GameStop, which you really don't hear much about anymore. Bed, bad, but, beyond. But, but, it, but it still seems to get, get a lot of play. But AMC is the, the stock du jour this week. Past yep. couple of weeks, it's the poster child of the meme stocks, and 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 what's what's so amazing is that on Friday morning, Andrew Ross Sorkin interviewed this 23 year old trader that I guess is one of the leaders from the Reddit uh, Wall Street bets post, and very articulate gentleman for a very young guy, very articulate, but I mean he even admits that in according to his estimations, the fundamental value for AMC is $25, which is less than half of where it's currently trading. But if you actually talk to real analysts, I mean, actual analysts on Wall Street, they do this for a living, AMC's fundamental value is about a dollar. You know, the bottom line is ticket sales for AMC theaters across the country have been steadily declining since 2016. This wasn't just some end effect from COVID. They have been losing customer base for more than five years now. And so I guess it just, it just sticks in my craw because the financial entertainment press spends so much time talking about it. And they, I will say this, Andrew Ross Sorkin, he did take this gentleman to task a little bit and hit him with some pretty important points. And, and really one of the first commentators I've, I've heard really warn about the dangers of investing in these meme stocks and understand that you can lose every single thing. So if you're, you know, listening to this, and you want to get involved in these stocks, just make sure that any dollar you put in there is a dollar that you'd have no problem lighting on fire. And if you're okay with that, if, if you can take $10,000 and light it on fire, great. Take, take a gamble yeah. on one of these meme stocks. And these stocks are not, these, this is not investing. What's happening in these, in these securities has nothing to do with investing. It has to do with trading, has to do with, rampant speculation Momentum. it's a, it's a, it's a sideshow to it is not indicative of how wall street truly works that's right that's my biggest concern jeff yeah. that's why i'm bringing that up cuz cuz even my wife's like why does this irk you so much i said because it can wind up giving a black eye onto an industry that the three of us absolutely love that is our life that is the lifeblood in us is this industry and when people wind up getting hurt from these types of situations, it gives our industry a black eye. We had to recover from the dot-com bubble bursting. We had to recover from the financial crisis. Luckily, as you said, Jeff, it's just a handful of, of these meme stocks that's not going to take down the broader market. Right. I but hope, they're getting all I this attention. Is, I hope not. I hope there are no 10, 100, 50-time leveraged hedge funds out there that are, that are on the wrong side of some of these trades that, that has any sort of systemic risk. I don't think it exists. I have not heard or seen any evidence that, that this 
that this is occurring. So I'm not worried about the broader market. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a, a, a couple of day event if AMC goes from where it is now back to a dollar. It might have some effect on a few stocks in the markets for a couple of days. We'll talk about it on the next show, and then we'll be on to something else. So buyer beware. Buyer beware. Thank you, Kyle. Buyer beware. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So for listeners of MoneyWise on 1200 WOAI, we'd like to thank you for listening this weekend show. If you'd like to catch past MoneyWise programs or this weekend show, if you missed the first part, you can always go to our website at davidsoncap.com or catch us on any streaming service you subscribe to. Just look for the MoneyWise show. And for listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and going into more investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call on our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or any any shape and form. And so... The reason why uh, I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into a deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a f- blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately 
or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm -hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word. The G word. As part of the marketing pitch. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said... Uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a, and really, it's like you said, Jeff, it's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer, that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this, this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at uh, at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product, mm -hmm. is on the radio as, 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 it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is. I'd probably say in some instances more, Jeff. You know, I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we, we hear, as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th there'll be five others, and uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market to do nothing but pitch equity and next annuities. Mm -hmm. And we know for a fact in every large market in this state, there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. 
the return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of, of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No, earners. They're 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 basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety, As a, I mean, and, and return and then return. You know, CDs are back. If you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance, mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits, then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program. If so, if that bank should fail, so. So with this in mind, knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you'd want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we We'll stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, So let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return or rate of interest and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, Now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, 
you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars, and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the st in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600,000, a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is, a, this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, fear has got higher. And, yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. And really, annuities in general, but especially equity-indexed annuities, are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster 
equity indexed annuity sales because they can prey, the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can prey on your fear, on your uncomfortableness and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. Ms. Client, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of don't, the sales they don't go, pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the oh really? <laughs> I, I, you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making You're a little more dramatic. You may be making bit. a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500 and the index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in. So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 
you're capped at four. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time. Less than a year. One year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity-indexed annuities link interest rates or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity-indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity-indexed annuity uh, per basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, but again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line. And then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes participation rate changes, interest rate cap changes. And again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but there is is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, And we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, And so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, 
why would an insurance company, if this product is so good... All the upside, none, none of the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will so go inside and get out of line. Really get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and, oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra 10%. If I put $100,000 into it, it's now going to be worth $110,000. Mm-hmm. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is, the, this is one of the only products that I know of that, that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they, they sweeten the pot with these bonuses but you must stay in that investment for the entire well there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules there's for different the investing, but, but i can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus and when i say extended period of time and we're talking 10 years or more yeah and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second you know and again as i've i've said to anyone thinking about buying these if they have to entice you with free money if this thing is really that good as it's being presented they wouldn't have to give you anything well if they were really that good kyle why would we even need to be buying stocks and why would we need to be buying bonds why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds and why would all these other organizations in the united states that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the market? So all we got to do is stick it in these equity index news. We're going to get all the upside and none of the downside and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country, that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller, lower-credit quality insurance companies primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the MetLife's of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these types Life. of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either. But uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Inv- Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products, which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths 
when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products. And that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of, for some of our listeners that uh, were listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one, show. One, in one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two Ph.D. mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force. And you keep saying EIA, equity, equity indexed, indexed annuities. annuities. So if you're given So if you're buying an equity indexed annuity putting $100,000 into it, you can almost assure yourself that about $20,000 of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in $100,000 and I've got $100,000 in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender p- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple 
equity indexed annuities. And what I have found running numbers back, and in fact, I've, I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962. And I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold, returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to 2% annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal, where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is an extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear end commissions or rear end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out. It, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Uh, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, you know, and what 
again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organize crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity-indexed annuities, and he's known for the catch-a-predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there on the Internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several years ago. This was ago. several years ago, and again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdained for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity-indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless. Well, they're, they're in my the blue opinion. bonnet plague of all yeah, products of all, of all that products. we've ever come across. And, and, you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% after all fees after all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above 
what a CD would return. But uh, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again, for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. Yeah. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's or right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and, come. And you, to, you, you, you don't come to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to yeah. your doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of any any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that had heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake and buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.